0: Welcome to StrikeDeck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by StrikeDeck and the Success League. StrikeDeck is a customer success automation platform that enables CSMs to manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. For over 15 years, I've been a sales, marketing, and customer success executive, and my career has primarily focused on early and growth stage tech companies. The Success League works with leaders and companies of all sizes and stages. Today I'm talking with Thomas Enox, the Vice President of Customer Success at Heptio, a technology company that is focused on bringing large-scale distributed systems architecture and solutions to the enterprise. Thomas has run customer success, services, operations, and engineering for a variety of technology organizations, and I'll let him share more about his background in a minute. I'm really excited about our topic today because Heptio has made the decision to start their company out with a success team instead of a sales organization. And so we're going to explore that decision and Thomas's vision for customer success. Thomas, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Can you give our listeners an overview of how you landed in customer success, as well as some of the details about Heptio and your company's mission?
1: Yeah, for sure. Hi, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed uh, getting the opportunity to to speak with you today. Um, So let me give you a little bit of background on how I ended up in this role and then as you asked, a a bit of background on Heptio as well. Yeah. Um, So I started out as an engineer. I was kind of into the maths and sciences and graduated from college with that degree, but knew pretty early on I wasn't going to go the traditional engineering route and uh, spent a little time wandering around after college and then found myself in a technology consulting role with a company called Anderson Consulting. So I spent a number of years working on custom uh, solutions, building you know, technology projects uh, on behalf of large enterprises, and really got a lot of uh, you know skills and experience working in the enterprise. But after a while, I found that the consulting lifestyle wasn't so compatible with the family lifestyle I was interested in having. So I decided to make a change. And in doing so, I landed in uh, a startup. And essentially, I've been doing startups ever since. So for about the past, uh, I guess 15 years, I started in performing a services role at a number of software-based companies, and over time, that's evolved into this customer success role. And in particular, the the last company I was with, it was an open-source company Where, again, I started in a services function, but was pretty quickly able to evolve that into a more broad customer success program that included skills or training, as well as services and support, and try to kind of wrap all of those things together into uh, an overall success offering.
0: That's great. Um, So tell us a little bit more about your role at Heptio now.
1: Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about Heptio itself, and then I'll I'll, uh, also speak to the role itself. Yeah. So Heptio is a company that is helping to bring a technology called Kubernetes to the enterprise. And Kubernetes is an open source project, and I'll explain a little bit what uh, kind of the the purpose of that that solution is. Um, So starting off, I guess, giving a a little bit of a technology primer, um, if you move across kind of the arc of uh, the kind of evolution of infrastructure over the past 10 to 15 years, there was a pretty significant um, innovation uh, a number of years back called Virtual Machines, which allowed us as technologists to take a physical box, physical server, and separate it or make parts of that available to different applications such that it almost seemed like each application had its own server, therefore the name Virtual Machine. Right. After that uh, innovation, another kind of virtualization uh, technology came along called containers, which essentially does the same thing, but in an even lighter footprint way. And in particular, containers provide the software developers, application developers, a nice and tidy way to kind of package up their software and then make it more easy for someone on the operations side to install that software and move where it's running from, you know, place to place or cloud to cloud or data center to data center in a more graceful manner. So kind of went from virtual machines to containers as the uh, way to isolate resources and make them available. As containers got adopted, uh, the application developer teams, as well as the operators, the people that are keeping the software up and running on a day-to-day basis, recognized that, they basically needed a layer on top of containers to help maintain some awareness of where all these containers are, what state they're in, how healthy they are, and basically allow the operator to ensure that the kind of overall service that's being provided by that software was meeting its objectives of availability and performance, et cetera. Uh So this layer that sits on top of containers uh, has become Known as an orchestration layer. And Kubernetes is a particular orchestration solution that's uh, been developed. A little bit on the history of Kubernetes uh, there were three gentlemen that worked at Google, and uh, they are Joe Beta, Craig McLucky, and Brendan Burns. And they started to see, they adopted containers early on, they started to see the need for this orchestration layer, and they started to build a project which was originally called Borg, inside of Google, to serve that need at Google. And they did it with the foresight to see, uh, or to um, start on a path of creating that as an open source project, with the idea being that, you know, by making it available to others, there would be a higher rate of innovation around that technology, and that other people could help, you know, evolve it and uh, kind of make it a complete solution. Okay. So Borg, once it was put out as an open source project, became known as Kubernetes. Heptio was founded by two of those gentlemen, Craig McClucky and Joe Beta, back in November of last year with the particular mission to essentially bring Kubernetes to the enterprise. So you know, as the open source project has evolved uh, and kind of seen a very healthy adoption rate they saw the need for a business to be built around making it easier for enterprises to adopt the technology and then also kind of smoothing out some of the edges. So, uh, you know, as part of an open source project, um, there, you know, it has its pluses and minuses and there's some uh, capabilities that haven't been completely ironed out and that's one of the things Heptio is trying to achieve.
0: Cool, so tell tell me a little bit about what you're doing um, in your role with Heptio now.
1: Yeah. So uh, my role is to uh, build and run the customer success program. And in its simplest term, uh, we've defined that as being three S's. So we have a skills team. So that's a group of folks that are building training content and curriculum and then also delivering that to uh, people in both public forums as well as private settings for the various classes that we've developed. Okay. That's skills. The second category is services. So that's a a group of solutions engineers that will go out and engage directly with our customers. So we will define a project with a specific kind of timeline and objective and set of deliverables and, uh, essentially link arm with our customer team to help them achieve those outcomes that they're after. So that's second S services. And then the third one is support. And, uh, as with many open source projects, uh, a lot of enterprises, as they adopt those, want to know that there's some you know commercial-backed uh, SLA-based model in place to ensure that when they might run into a problem or have a question, they've got someone to turn to. And so Heptio is providing just that for the Kubernetes project, as well as for the ecosystem of technologies and projects that kind of revolve around uh, Kubernetes.
0: Okay. Great. Thanks. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for that description. I think, you know, for those of us that are not engineers and don't have that background, it's really helpful to have an idea of what your organization is doing and how it works. So I, I really appreciate that description of what you guys are up to. Um, When you and I first met, I was really interested to hear about your customer success first first approach to your startup. I think not many organizations make that choice, Um, although I am starting to hear a little bit more chatter about that recently. What led you to that decision?
1: Yeah, uh, it's interesting Uh, when you you know, ask the question out loud, why are you choosing to put customer success first? It almost sounds kind of crazy, right? It's right. Well, of course we are. I mean, everyone should, but as you said, you know, it's actually not that common of a pattern. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I guess first and foremost, the the answer of kind of how that choice was made, or I guess who made that choice, that was, you know, very clearly a philosophy that Joe and Craig made at the very beginning of Heptio. And um, when I kind of stumbled upon them as a, a new company and had my first conversation with Craig, and he said that to me, I my first reaction was, uh, you're kidding me. Like, I, you know, never heard a CEO say this. And obviously for a person in customer success, it's quite an exciting thing to hear. So as I, you know, talked uh, with him more about, you know, why they had made that decision and uh, how they were thinking about that, it really... Uh, became one of the main reasons that I got really excited about joining Heptio. So the the answer really breaks down to two things, Uh, and one is a very practical thing, and I guess I would call the second one more of a philosophical thing. So on the practical side, um, it's the fact that Heptio wanted to be in business, wanted to get into the marketplace very quickly, and start working with customers and really get what we refer to as the signal, just understand what problems people are running into, understand what customers are trying to accomplish. And then as we see those problems, you know, start to envision the best way to get them over the hurdles that they encounter. And we, our, our ultimate goal is to be a product business. So we want to bring, you know, product capabilities to the market. But while we're building those, we didn't want to sit around. We wanted to get out and start talking with customers. And so the success function essentially is the, you know, the easiest way to do that. So that's the practical answer. Um, so the, it
0: was almost like you were using your customer success group to really kind of refine your offerings. Well, is that's that a, fair to say?
1: Yeah, that's very fair to say. And okay. really that kind of gets more to the philosophical side, which is that and you know th- this is both philosophical as well as just a recognition of the state of the marketplace. But uh, the idea is, in order to ensure that we are building the right software, just like you said, um, we you know want to make sure we've got that intimate understanding of what people are encountering as they are, you know, adopting containers, using an orchestration tool and trying to basically, you know, redesign the way they build software and operate software and do that in a cloud, you know, native model that's uh, becoming so widely adopted in today's world. So by being out, you know, in the field, by being on the other end of the phone, when someone's got a problem or a question, we think that gives us this, you know, uh, I guess, very unique opportunity to turn that back into the particular solutions that we're building.
0: Okay, cool. So as you were thinking about how you were going to build this out, did you have another organization or some experience at a prior company that you were modeling your Heptio team on? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's a, an interesting question. I guess I, I I want to come at that a little bit different and say, uh, let's talk about the things we Didn't want to do, or the things we're trying to not.
0: (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) fair, yeah.
1: (laughs) So I guess the the kind of underpinning to that is uh, our general observation is that the world of IT and the world of providers and vendors in the IT marketplace is fraught with circumstances where uh, the way I describe it is you have these vendors that walk up to your doorstep with this kind of ball of technology. They put it on the front door, they ring the doorbell, and they run away. And you open up and like, what is this thing? And it can be a pretty, you know, powerful platform or, uh, you know, innovative tool. But more often than not, it's extremely complicated to install. It's, you know, hard to learn how to use. And it takes a great deal of energy to kind of get over the curve before that thing, tool, software application becomes, you know, the powerful engine that it really represents. Right. And so, yeah. you know, we just, we've seen that and quite uh, frankly, we've been that in some of our prior experiences and wanted to try and uh, avoid or, you know, not repeat some of those same mistakes. Okay. So that's, I guess, you know, the, the first thing I would say that we're trying to not do. Um, I guess on the, uh, on the, what we are trying to do is again, first off, just be, and uh, you know, build kind of an intimate relationship with customers, as well as a very in-depth knowledge of what's happening, you know, at the at the real world, at the keyboard, and then create solutions that are very easy to ingest as those problems are encountered. So, I guess if I were to answer your, the question more directly, of you know, who would we like to mimic? There's there's two companies that come to mind. Um, one is a company called Atlassian, who have a number of tools that are uh, have been um, you know adopted by enterprises on a pretty regular basis, and it's very easy to grab their tools to to uh, you know kind of uh, practice with them. You can do you know free download, get started. Um, you don't have to go through a huge contract negotiation and three-year, you know, enterprise license agreement to, <laughs> to kind of get yeah. started. So they've made it easy to start, and that's one thing. Um, the other company that I think that's you know done some clearly innovative things would be Amazon, and in particular the Amazon Web Services. And the point to bring up there is just that, you know, as they started to introduce that offering. And when you think about what they did, it's kind of amazing, right? They took the entire data center, all of the infrastructure, the network, the servers, the storage devices, the people, the physical building, and they stuck it behind an API and said, "Hey, just send requests into this API, and all those things will be made available to you." And so it was that simplicity of the interface that uh, I guess was the you know a big part of that innovation. And so, you know, we'd like to do the same thing for the com- consumption of software and make, you know, the the kind of complexity, um, hide the complexity as as appropriate behind an easy to consume interface.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I think that frictionless experience is really what, um, you know, customer success is all about. And I think as you're describing what you're after, it makes a lot of sense that you started, with customer success, given where you're trying to to end, um, you know I think a lot of consumer driven organizations are a little further down the road in terms of building out that frictionless, you know, buying experience or frictionless um, use experience of their solutions. And I think it's it's exciting to see that you guys are going forward with that in a in a B two B environment. So very cool. Um, before we get onto the structure of your team, can you tell us a little bit more about the offerings that you guys have in the market today and what makes them unique? I know you kind of outlined them for us at the beginning, but maybe get into a little bit more depth on those.
1: Yeah, let me do that. I'll, I'll kind of walk through each of those three S's again with a little more description of the specific offerings that we have in each. Um, so starting on skills, uh, we started what we call Heptio University and um specifically focused on classroom-based curriculum to start. So the idea there is that, um, you know, there's there's kind of a lot of uh, information to absorb in the early part of learning about containers and orchestration. And so having a focused, you know, uh, instance of Someone in front of you that can not only talk to you about things, but also answer questions seem like the best format to start. So classroom based. And we have uh, kind of a series of classes, half day and full day. And then again, we offer those in a public forum, meaning anybody can go out to a website and sign up and schedule to be in one of those uh, instances. Or if a particular enterprise wants to do a private uh, instance, we will arrange that as well. So classroom-based is the initial focus, but we really quickly want to move towards more uh, self-paced, you know, uh, mediums and have a variety of ways in which we can kind of impart some of that knowledge. So, uh, you know, if you think about um, all of the different kind of uh, mechanisms available now, you can go out to YouTube and learn things, you can join webcasts, you can look at knowledge bases, and that's, we really want to start to explore, you know, those mechanisms very, uh, very soon. Because again, there's such a wealth of things to know. And the more that you can encounter that knowledge at the point of need, the better off I think everyone will be. So that's what we'll, we'll do in kind of the back half of this year as we move our skills offerings along the line.
0: So, Thomas, I just wanted to ask because um, we do training too at the Success League, and I wanted to kind of get your perspective on this. What what do you see as the differences between the live training and the pre recorded um, self paced training, and do you see there being a need really for both inside of your organization?
1: Yeah. Um, so, the answering the back half of the question, we definitely see the need for both, okay. um, and the you know the live training again really. So the folks that we have conducting the training are, we label them training engineers and we put a lot of emphasis, it's like capital E engineers. So these are people that can code. These are the people that have kind of lived in the world of Kubernetes and have experienced leveraging the technology, you know, in real life. And therefore, they're very well positioned to answer questions and to kind of Provide you know some of the context and history and and more in depth explanation for why things work they the way they do or why things sometimes don't work and what you can do about that. Got so it. for that reason, we really think that you know a classroom based setting for particular circumstances is you know not only appropriate but but very powerful. Okay. Having said that, though, uh, you know again, there's uh, well first off. Different people have, you know, different um, learning patterns that they like. And I think all of us have gotten used to and kind of to your point earlier about the consumerization of things. We're all used to being able to go out and Google things or, you know, look on a wiki page or access a knowledge base or see a video snippet. And so those can be really powerful ways to get a very, you know, particular piece of knowledge into someone's hands. And so it's the combination, you know, we think that essentially offering both is is important and that mm-hmm. can give people with different styles or desires of how they like to learn and also just different places uh, that they might be in their, you know, n- need for knowledge. And we want to be able to respond to both of those.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your services area?
1: Yeah. Um, so again, I would start with the people that we have on that team and uh, the title we use for that role is a solutions engineer. And again, those are po- both very purposefully chosen words. Um, I'll start on the, the backside, the engineer. Again, these are you know people that have lived in the production world with uh, containers and Kubernetes and have had experience operating kind of at enterprise scale with those technologies. And on the solution side, the thing that we recognize is Kubernetes is an incredibly powerful kind of seed kernel of technology, and it does have its gaps, but it also has, I guess, what I'll call its friends, these adjacent technologies that uh, have been created, many of them other open source projects. And essentially, you need to stitch a number of things together in order to get a fully functioning solution. And, you know which things need to be stitched together depend on the different requirements or things you're trying to achieve as an enterprise. But more often than not, you're gonna have a CI, CD tool, which stands for continuous integration, uh, uh, continuous deployment. So that's kind of a code management tool. Often you'll need uh, a monitoring tool. You might need a network mesh tool. And so all of these different components need to be put in place and uh, made to work together and that's where the solutions side of that role comes to play. It's having the experience and knowledge of what that kind of battery of tools out there uh, looks like and what some of the pros and cons are. And then being able to speak to a customer and truly understand what they're trying to accomplish and then ultimately kind of make the right diagnosis of which of the you know those solutions and in which, which way should they be deployed to best meet the needs of that particular instance. So that's our services team and the the offering itself is as simple as we can make it and and what I mean by that is we basically offer a engineering week as the kind of basic unit that you can buy and we get into a conversation with a customer about what they're trying to accomplish and kind of going back to the the uh, medical metaphor You know, after we've had that conversation, we get out the prescription pad and say, you know, it sounds like you need to take two of these and call me. (laughs) I'm obviously joking, but, you know, evaluate how many engineering weeks that that initiative uh, should take and and get on our way. And so the key points of that are we wanted a very flexible offering and we want to get started as quickly as possible. We try to make that to your language earlier, frictionless as possible. So that we can link arms and, uh, you know, and and both get something done together, but hopefully teach uh, along the way. So there's a pretty big learning aspect where we're trying to empower that team that we're working with so that they'll, you know, be uh, able to live long and po- prosperous in their container and uh, <laughs> orchestrated world.
0: That's great. So it sounds like that team um, in your group needs to be pretty technical. You've got. That's true. Okay, so so you have some specialists in your group that are really focused in that area. It sounds like.
1: yeah, that's right. And that's actually you know one of our challenges is uh, we not only want them to be very technical, but we also want them to have had deep experience, you know, working with these technologies again in an enterprise or at an enterprise scale. And we're pretty early on in the adoption of these technologies. so there's just not a whole bunch of people out there that really have those credentials. so, we're obviously trying to find those people, but we're also trying to grow those people.
0: Okay, cool. So shout out to anybody out there that <laughs> has that specific experience. <laughs> Call Heptio. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit more about the support category. I think that was your, the last of the S's, correct? That's right.
1: Okay, yeah, that is. Um, so again, you know, with open source technologies and as they get adopted by enterprises. Many enterprises uh, really don't want to go down that path unless they know that when they encounter a problem or you know heavens forbid, it's a mission critical incident that they've run into. They want to know they can call someone and get that thing solved as quickly as possible. And so our you know uh, plan and uh, offering there is to provide a SLA based you know mission critical support model uh, for customers that are adopting Kubernetes. We are also doing that for some of these adjacent technologies that are in that Kubernetes ecosystem. So kind of the the model, uh, or I'll say the philosophy behind our support subscription is first and foremost that we recognize that there are a bunch of technologies involved and we want to lean into helping you solve the problems that are associated with you know, the integration of all of those technologies. So, you know, first point is lean and Second point is we, we kind of describe it as the Statue of Liberty posture that, you know, it's kind of bring us your tired, bring us your weary. We want to hear about the problems that you're having. So we don't put any constraint on the number of tickets that you can open or the number of times you can call or, you know, how many um, clusters you might be operating or which of those other adjacent technologies that, you know, let us know what you're running into and let us see if we can help. Okay. Um, so we right. offer that as a support subscription and um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's got a you know an SLA that commits us to you know respond and make sure that we're helping solve that problem for you.
0: Okay. Very cool. I think that helps give everybody a little bit more of an overview of, of the offerings and what your team is doing within the organization. So let's get down to tactics. Um, how are you going about building this customer success organization? What What's the structure of the team itself? What roles are you trying to fill at any given point? And are there any unique characteristics of your approach?
1: Yeah. Um, so the, the structure itself essentially follows those same S's that I, I've spoken to. So we have a, a set of team members that are working in the skills category, another set that are in that services category, and then a, a final set that's in the support category. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, there's engineer in the title for all of those roles. And we're primarily focused on the kind of practitioners, the individual contributors that we need in each of those different functions. So that's what we're, you know, kind of building from the ground up as as, as we speak right now. Okay. Um, the other thing I think that I, I want to kind of highlight is we, you know, a goal of ours is that an engineer that might be in one of those category is able to and hopefully interested in doing the functions or parts that fall in the other category. So, as an example, a lot of time our solutions engineers will go out and teach one of our skills curriculums because one they can, and secondly, a customer might both want a training as well as a you know services project, and so when those kind of get bundled up. It, It can be helpful to have the same person do both of those things. And conversely, someone on the support team that, uh, you know, has an interest in going out and spending a week doing a services engagement or even teaching one of the classes is able to do that. So we're trying to encourage some fluidity between the roles and, you know, see that there's a pretty kind of common gene pool, I guess, across the people that are in those functions.
0: I think that's great too, because then, you know, as people mature in their careers, they have other places they can move to within the organization. And, you know, if you're developing leaders from within the group, they can, you know, have experience in all of the areas and grow into leadership, um, you know, knowing the full scope of what you're working on. So I, I like that approach.
1: So the, the other thing I guess I would highlight, um, you know, I guess attributes that we're looking for in all of those roles. Um, so, you know, obviously, te- technical skills has been a consistent th- theme through our conversation, and there's no, yeah. there's no uh, hiding that. That's a pretty fundamental requirement in each of the roles. But what we, you know, are very focused on ensuring that comes along with that is just good bedside manner. And I seem to be on a, uh, a medical metaphor for some reason. That's okay. We'll stick with it. it. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically, you know, making sure that the, um, the, the people in those roles have empathy for our customers and have the ability to kind of meet people where they are and recognize the challenges that anybody that's adopting a new technology is going to run into. And, and, particular someone that's in a large enterprise who's probably got three other day jobs and maybe four bosses and 17 pressures you know being applied against them and that can be uh you know can be a toxic mix if you're not careful and so we want to make sure that we're approaching you know the folks that we engage with with uh an awareness of you know what they're probably dealing with and uh you know with empathy for some of the problems that they've run into and and Probably problems that we might have run into ourselves and our, you know, in our past. But playing off of that, one of the most important things we really want to bring to this whole, you know, success program is a deep passion to never see the same problem twice. And so that can come in a couple of different forms. Um, you know, I, it's it's kind of the mentality that I hate doing the same thing more than once. So I either want to fix the root cause or automate it or something that's going to, you know, prevent that from happening to either me or to somebody else. Right. So the people in support, the people in success, or sorry, services, the people in skills are kind of looking for that signal again. You know, what's the problem the customer's running into? And then I'm holding th- them accountable to figure out, Could I do something different in the course that I taught? Could I have taught something, you know, that would have prevented this person from calling me later? Or could our product do something different? Can I go back to our engineering team and say, you know what? It would be really cool if you would build an installation script so that people weren't struggling so much when they, you know, were first getting started to build their Kubernetes cluster. So we're trying to take all of that signal and make sure that we are, you know, learning from it as an organization and improving our documentation improving our you know training and fixing code where where it's uh, necessary okay so a, a few other attributes that we really are looking for as we talk to candidates um, first off it's just important for someone to have an appreciation for the open source model and and hopefully be a fan of it uh, or yeah. actually not hopefully uh, i would say that's a requirement so we, as Heptio, uh, obviously, our, uh, our history is very closely tied to Kubernetes as a project. And you know, our founders were not only the you know, part of the team that created it, but also part of the team that built the Cloud Native Compute Foundation, which is now the steward of that project. And we want to maintain a really close relationship and be seen as a very uh, important steward to that open source project and others. So the folks that we hire, you know, uh, should have an appreciation for that, and we want to have them working in the community and helping, you know, make the world a better place. Basically, so being a fan of open source is an important characteristic.
0: Can I can I ask you a, a question about that real quick? Is sure. there a place that you c- can find those folks? I mean, are there meetups or are there, um, you know, industry organizations that you know have have those people that are really engaged with the community?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So the answer is yes. Uh, And you mentioned meetups. So that's that's like the first place to start. And, um, you know, most large geographies have some kind of meetup set up and there's often topics that roll around either about containers or orchestration. So that's a a very good place. Um, The other thing is just the, you know, the Community itself. If you go out, basically to the to the uh, GitHub project, you can see who's playing around and who's making commits, and you know who's actually participating in some of the forums where discussions happen about the technology itself. Okay. And then, lastly, just conferences too. There's you know a number of pretty large profile conferences that uh, are specifically around these topics, and you can find people there.
0: Cool. So those are your hunting grounds for your candidates. <laughs> right. Perfect. Any any other um, characteristics that you're looking for?
1: Yeah, I guess the one last thing I would mention is, uh, and again, you know, the more I talk about it, the the more I realize the kind of the high bar to find the right people that fit into these roles. But the last part is uh, my my short way of saying it is the ability to go from whiteboard to keyboard. And so the idea there is, and it, this kind of ties back to the engineer role, but it's kind of this mix of engineer. An architect, and evangelist, and really good public speaker. <laughs> so you that's know, a tough
0: mix to find.
1: Yeah, exactly. It is. It is indeed. But uh, you know, there there are those those people that can not only understand the technology but convey it in a way to help others understand it, and then just again bring that experience of you know I've seen this done before, and I can not only you know sit down with you arm in arm at the computer keyboard and you know build a cluster or troubleshoot a problem but i can also jump to the whiteboard and draw a diagram that's going to help you kind of better understand the concepts that are uh, incorporated in that so yeah. uh, keyboard to whiteboard's another aspect i guess important to us
0: okay So I'm going to ask a question now about kind of the elephant in the room, which is that um, you guys started with customer success, which means you did not start with sales, which is a lot more classic approach in in startup land. You know, typically you would have your engineering team and your product teams in place, and then you would hire a sales team and they would go sell it and you would get some customers and then you would do customer success. And that's kind of what I see happen more frequently. I think um, you guys have taken a different approach. So... um, Given that, how does that work with your sales team, or do you even have a sales team?
1: Yeah, good question. So the the easy answer is we don't have a sales team, so we don't have to worry about that. (laughs) That (laughs) Um, is easy. (laughs) Exactly. So we solved that problem. Um, (laughs) But I I guess the the slightly more fully fleshed out answer is um, what we're hoping to accomplish is two things. Um, And I've I've spoken to the first part, which is just be engaged with customers and have that intimate knowledge of what they're working on, trying to accomplish, running, running into as hurdles. And then secondly, we really want to build our offerings and whether those are success offerings or the actual product offerings in such a way that it's actually more important to tell about them than to sell them. So it's tell, not sell. And We think that, you know, the success organization that we've talked about uh, are in the best position to tell. And we think that if we're creative and thoughtful, we can build things and then bring them to market in a way that is, you know, removes some of the friction that your typical you know, salesperson is helping get an organization over. So right. if we can avoid having big complicated three year enterprise license agreements with terms and conditions that would make your eyes bleed, then that might you know make that problem uh, go away or at least a little easier to accomplish. Yeah. So that's the path we're on. Uh, you okay. know we'll, we'll see how that evolves. But um, we're, we're very focused on making sure that there's a compelling enough value proposition and a simple enough go-to-market plan that uh, we can reduce the need for some of that.
0: That's great. I, I love that approach. I'm I'm hoping that you and I can talk again in about a year, and I want to see how that's going for you guys, Um, because I think it's a a really interesting way to approach the market, and um, I'm really hoping that works for you, because I think it's it's exciting. It's not something that every company could could do, I think, but I think more companies could go that route.
1: Yeah, well, let's schedule it one year from today.
0: One year from today, we're going to talk. <laughs> um, so, tell us a little bit about the tools and technologies you're leveraging um, across your team, um, and you know what what do you have in place, and what are you planning to to purchase down the road?
1: Yeah, sounds good. Um, so, I will start with uh, a tool that we've been using very heavily, which is called Lever, and okay. I start with that because it's uh, essentially our recruiting and kind of candidate processing tool, and a lot of what Haptio is doing is hiring, and so that's been a really uh, good tool for us, and has helped us kind of make that process work pretty smoothly. Cool. But more from kind of a business operations point of view, I guess I'll start with Salesforce.com. Woohoo! You know, not, not too surprising. Uh, obviously, a lot of people leverage that. Um, yep. I would call us a relatively light user, but it is the kind of core of our our kind of back office and customer facing operations. Right. Surrounding that, uh, we, we're using a few other things. Uh, we're using a tool called Forecast and Harvest for the services part of the business, where we're you know tracking projects and tracking hours or days that are uh, uh, you know being performed against those projects. Um, we use a tool called Asana to uh, allow us to kind of collaborate on those projects and keep track of open tasks or uh, deliverables that need to be produced. And then we are also using uh, wiki pages to just, you know, capture some of the content and organize that in a way for the teams to function together.
0: Okay. Um, So if you had to look at your success organization now and think about where you think it's going to be, you know, three, five years down the road, I know we're going to get back together in a year and talk about it, but um, (laughs) if you had to predict what it's going to look like. What What do you think at this yeah. point?
1: Well, so it's a good question. I guess, you know, the main thing that um, that we don't have at, you know, at scale today that I think we'll have soon would be a role that's, uh, you know, an account manager slash customer success manager role. So we'll we'll start hiring into that function in the latter half of this year, or in the, I guess, yeah, in the fourth quarter, I should say. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, with that idea of, using our success organization to help drive commercial relationships, we're going to need to build some more, uh, you know, account management kind of capability uh, in the organization. The other thing is, you know, as we bring these products to market, uh, we're hoping to have a model that is a a recurring or subscription-based model. And part of that will be to not only, you know, help customers make a connection with those offerings, but then also help them understand how to, fully unlock the potential over time. And so I guess I see the, you know, our general business relationship with customers moving towards a subscription model. And what's really, you know, interesting for me and as kind of how to structure a subscription so that it's not just about the software, but it can really bring a number of things to bear for an enterprise that could be useful to them at different stages of their adoption. Okay, you know, so if we go back through the the success things we've talked about, skills and services and support, I think there's some really compelling and unique ways that you can bundle those within a subscription, but then also make that or have that evolve so that a customer who's in their early stages of adoption is getting the things that they need, and someone who's at a mature stage is getting the things that they need and those can look quite different. And you also have big customers who have different needs than the smaller customers. So I think the the kind of answer to your question is that our offerings will evolve more towards that subscription model with a variety of flavors that are both evolution stage appropriate and size of organization appropriate. And along with that, our organization will evolve, you know, so you will need different types of people to not only kind of manage that subscription relationship, but also see the opportunity, you know, basically diagnose when it's time to move from flavor one to flavor two.
0: Got it. So let me ask you a personal question and then we'll kind of move to our wrap up. Um, What do you love about what you're doing and what do you most not love about what you're doing? You're, you're from a engineering background, so this is really different space than you originally came out of. Um, What do you like?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, so it, it, it ties to what you just brought up, which is as an engineer, I, I do love to build things. And th- I've <laughs> never been in a situation where I've got the opportunity to build so many things at the same time. So just by virtue of Hetio being such an early stage company, and also by virtue of the ecosystem that we're running around in being pretty uh, young, yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of things to be built. And so I, I mentioned that I, I knew I wasn't going to be a traditional engineer. I was a mechanical engineer by training, but I've found my own way to build things, which is more building offerings and building teams. And, and as I said, I've got my hands full doing that now. So that's what I love. Um, and, I'll, I'll, you know, specifically on the team part, I um, I get a lot of juice out of, you know, finding the right people and then helping them find the right place for themselves. Uh, hopefully, you know, first off, that being Heptio, but then that right, right. Place within.
0: <laughs> yeah. Very um, cool. So,
1: so that's the, uh, the love part. Um, what do I not love? What, what you know what? What I do not love is this lingering feeling I have in the back of my mind that one of those people, the perfect person, for the role I'm trying to fill is out there in the world somewhere and I haven't found them yet. So that just oh. irritates me or, you know, not irritates, but it, uh, it weighs on me and, uh, I hope I can get smarter about finding those people and I hope they can get smarter about finding us.
0: So you're a unicorn hunter. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you're looking That's for right. the unicorn. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That is, that is frustrating when, you know, especially I think for your, organization because you are after such a very specific kind of person with some very specific technical expertise. I think that makes it challenging. And and I would think that you would have it in the back of your mind that there's that, that person has to exist out there somewhere and you just haven't found them yet. Right. <laughs> so hopefully right. this podcast helps some of them to come your way. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that's the secret. Um, so just to kind of get back to our listeners a little bit, if one of the listeners is thinking about starting up a company or they're in an early stage company and they're considering this approach of customer success first, what would you recommend that they focus on to kick things off? And is there anything they should definitely not do?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I guess um, it almost sounds a little too mother pie and apple hoodish, but I would just say <laughs> spend as much time as possible with the folks that you think are going to use the thing or service that you're trying to build. And okay, it just, you know, I, I know that is a somewhat standard answer, but being uh, th- coming at that in a unique way and um, kind of, again, linking arms with those people is about the wisest uh, step that I can think to suggest.
0: Yeah, well, it, I mean, it does sound really obvious, and yet a lot of organizations don't do that. So I think it's it's good to call it out. Um, last question, and this is one that I ask all of our guests: What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now, and why?
1: Yeah, you know, you kind of touched on the thing that uh, that stands out in my mind in that regard, and that's what I would refer to as just the consumerization of expectations. So. I've watched this happen for me, for sure, as, you know, I adopt a technology in my own life and that suddenly changes my life and hopefully in a positive way. And I go, well, wow, that was easy. Like, why isn't everything else that I work with like that? And so I think as all of us have had those experiences in our personal life, it starts to bleed over into the expectations we have in our work life. And when you kind of, you know, combine that experience and set of expectations with the phenomena I talked earlier about, you know, technology has become so prevalent in every business. And, you know, we kind of use the phrase, every business is a software business now. It's just, do you also happen (laughs) to have a fleet of airplanes or do you have a fleet of trains or are you, you know, peddling clothing? But somewhere in the core of your business, software is a very, fundamental underpinning that you're you know that you need and within software you've got you know a lot of technology that has to come to play to make that software work. And so you've got the complications of all of that technology combined with the simplicity and you know delightfulness of the experience that people are coming to expect and it, it leaves a lot of space in the middle of making things work better.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement, I think, in that area, and um, I, I definitely see that as one of the biggest trends in our space, too. Well, Thomas, I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and ideas on starting a company with customer success first. I'm sure this was a fascinating and exciting topic for all of our customer success listeners since it is such a different approach. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. It's been fun.
0: I also want to thank our sponsors, StrikeDeck and the Success League. To learn more about StrikeDeck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow StrikeDeck on LinkedIn or at StrikeDeck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time.